Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to another episode here at Feelin' Film. It's Halloween week, and actually Halloween, if you're listening on the day this drops. And due to Aaron finishing up his move to a new place and getting settled in, to celebrate the holiday with me is my man, Jeremy Call Kara. What is up, my friend? Not much. How are you? I intentionally mispronounced your name just to see what you did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just had a nice conversation about how to pronounce it, and then you did it wrong. <laughs> Call Kara, Call Kara. I'm going <laughs> to, it's Calcara just for just anyone. Calcara. Yeah. Just don't call me cholera and we'll be all right. I'm not going to, I'm going to call you Cal as in like Kal-El. That'd be better. So yeah. that'll make it easier. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Jeremy and I share a love of comedy. So it's only fitting that he's with me to discuss the 1984 classic Ghostbusters. If you haven't listened to the show before, know that we are filled with spoiler talk. So be warned before listening further. And away we go. As we like to do on the show, we always start off with one-word takeaways. So, Jeremy, hit me up with your one word. My one-word takeaway for Ghostbusters is Murray, as in Murray, comma, Bill, Bill, effing, Murray. Um, I just love, I feel like this and Groundhog Day are the two movies that we have where Bill Murray is at his Bill Murrayest. He's hilarious. Um, he's just allowed to shine in this movie and it's my favorite thing about it. I couldn't agree with you more because that is my one word takeaway. I don't think that there is a word that would be able to sum up Ghostbusters more than Murray. He is the focal point for the most part. I think in a lot of ways, he's the glue that holds the movie together. I don't know if you'd argue that he's the most important character or important actor in the movie. We might get into that later in the discussion, but I will say that he brings something to the table with Ghostbusters as well as Groundhog Day that really allows an audience to understand that type of comedy. I think those are the two movies, if you want to understand the comedy of Bill Murray, those are the two that you got to watch. And you can watch them back to back because that's good stuff, man. I love both this one and Groundhog Day. They happen to all both start with the letter G. I don't know if that's a coincidence for great bill murray performances i don't think that's necessarily a factor there but whatever it's a little serendipitous or coincidental anyway but yes murray was my one word takeaway as well and i'm excited to talk a bit more about him as the conversation rolls on now when we're talking about a movie like this like ghostbusters everybody can safely say that this is a comedy and when it comes to reviewing comedies um it's really subjective in determining what is, quote, good versus bad, because everybody has their own flavor of comedy that they like. You and I have a have a common ground in this type of genre, but I know that there's other comedy that you like that I don't care for, probably comedy that I like that may not be your cup of tea. But anytime you think of comedy, it definitely has to rely on a great cast, depending on what kind of circumstances you're actually viewing it in. Like, for instance, if your movie was sold out and this was the only one left, you might have a different attitude going into it. And even the different types of comedy, if it's raunch comedy you like, or maybe romantic comedy or slapstick comedy, these are things that really do play a part in a person's enjoyment of this particular genre. It's also a lot of fun to talk about because it kind of gives people insight into how other people think and what people like. My wife, for instance, she cracks up every time somebody falls down or trips or anything like that. But I love verbal comedy. I love a good written script. And Ghostbusters definitely nails that for me. So I wanted to start the conversation by asking you, what makes Ghostbusters a winner for you specifically? To me, the great thing about Ghostbusters, I guess, to me, it's three things. First is they're fully fleshed out characters that really feel real and lived in. You know, I like when I think of Egon, you know, he doesn't have a ton of lines in the movie, but I get the feeling that Harold Ramis could have told you exactly what was in his refrigerator and on his nightstand. Like he was that much of a real person. Um, just he felt completely uh, realized, I guess, by Ramis. And I feel like that that's the case for definitely our three uh, main characters. For Sigourney, we 
as well, and even Rick Moranis' character, um, I forget his name, maybe not necessarily for Winston, but for everybody else, I feel like there's a lot of uh, completely real, fleshed-out characters. I think that's great. I think it's just a fun idea uh, for a plot. It's a funny um, funny premise, you know, to take the the ghost, the possession sort of horror movie and turn it into a comedy and then uh, I really think that the number one thing for me is that they give funny people to be funny and didn't have an ego when it came to the script and allowed Bill Murray especially to – they say that he probably changed about 90% of his lines. Um, but even people like Sigourney Weaver who is known for more of the action slash horror stuff with Alien at this point, um, you know, she's the one that came up with the idea for um, saying that Vinkman reminded her of a – game show host you know and that was it was it was supposed to be a used car salesman but just just little touches like that allowing people to make make a tweak here and there when they thought something was going to be funny is uh i don't know what what really tips it over the edge for being great for me i i agree i when i look at a a movie like ghostbusters it feels very lived in it feels like these characters and the actors that are playing the characters are not only comfortable in those skins but they are also comfortable with working with each other. And it's it's as if they are loving working on this set. I'd like to believe, ideally, that when you bring a cast together, more often than not, the cast is not just going to get along, but get along swimmingly, and you're going to make best friends for life. That's obviously not the case. We we hear stories about issues going on on set with different actors. But occasionally, you'll have a movie that seems like it reflects the attitude of the actors playing these characters. And when I watch Ghostbusters, I'm going to probably stay naive here. I haven't read much about it. I'd like to believe that all these actors, in particular Murray, Ramis, and Aykroyd, have this friendship that bleeds into their character relationships on screen that makes their characters feel like they fit together even though all three of them have completely different personalities. And it's like this thing where you have characters that are opposites, but those opposites work together. And then there's a common ground, a common thing that they kind of rally under, whether it's science or ghosts or um, making money. It's, it's all about making sure that the team stays together. So I think there's a reflection of, the characters wanting to put the team before the individual that is probably reflected in the actors themselves and their relationships with each other. Even characters like Dana Barrett played by Sigourney Weaver or Louis Tully, as you were thinking about with Rick Moranis, Janine played by Annie Potts, and then uh, Ernie Hudson who plays Winston Zedmore. They're supporting characters, but they feel natural to the narrative. They don't feel just like thrown in. And I think that's part of why I enjoy Ghostbusters is because I'm not looking for a deep theological or a deep psychological plot. I'm looking for a fun time when I watch this, but I have enough characters that I can focus in on one. I I love that. I love the fact that I can enjoy a movie multiple times, not only because it makes me feel good or a certain way specifically, but because there are characters out there in it that I, I that don't get stale with each viewing, you know? And so for me, I think the comedy that comes with that, the sense of humor that is driven by Murray combined with um, with Ramus and Aykroyd's writing of the script, I think it sets it apart as a great written script and the comedy in it feels both natural and um, and hilarious for that matter. When we look at a cast like this, both of us obviously honed in on Bill Murray himself. In my adult life, I have really come to appreciate him as a comedic actor. I don't know that I appreciated him as much when I watched this movie or even Groundhog Day the first time. I remember distinctly watching What About Bob and becoming very annoyed, like incredibly annoyed with the movie. And I still kind of have that apprehension about it, and I think it's the movie itself that kind of bothers me. Knowing what I know now and the appreciation that I have for Bill Murray, I may go back and actually revisit that and see if it hits some better notes, see if his comedy kind of lives in that just as effectively as it does in those other two. But specifically for Ghostbusters, 
his comedic style is on full display in the movie. So for you, what makes his presence the difference in a movie like Ghostbusters? You know, it's funny. Like, um, I wasn't allowed to watch Ghostbusters when I was a kid because ghosts and my parent. you know, I wasn't allowed to watch fun things. Um, He-Man, Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow. The um, deprived child you were. These are all yeah, things that my parents were like, here, we'll be back later. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> enjoy that. <laughs> So my growing, so for me growing up with Bill Murray, Matt, Groundhog Day, of course, but also What About Bob was a very big movie in our fam- in our family. So I think I grew up, I grew to love uh, the really, really annoying Bill Murray of uh, What About Bob, or even like um, the Man Who Knew Too Little. Before I grew to like the sort of sardonic, uh, dry Bill Murray of groundhog day and ghostbusters but anyway that's neither here nor there i forgot your question because i was talking about that <laughs> i was uh, well i was asking really what is the difference that he brings to a movie like ghostbusters i mean could the movie have been done with another actor another comedian does he bring something different in this particular iteration could this movie have done without bill murray as an actor you know, it's interesting because he is my favorite part and he's wonderful. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to change anything. But when you read about the history of this movie and where it started to where it was when it finally got made, there were a lot of versions of this movie that I w- that didn't involve him that I would still love to see. You know, the original the original plan was Aykroyd, John Belushi and Eddie Murphy, which yeah, I want to see that movie. They they talked about uh, Michael Keaton as Vinkman, which I would love to see Michael Keaton in that role. So I don't think it would be the movie that it is without sort of without uh, Murray's presence and his just his attitude and just the sort of charisma, the odd charisma that he brings to us to a screen. But I still think it could have been a pretty funny movie. Um, but I but all in all, I'm glad. I'm glad that we don't have to talk about that because he is there and he's glorious. He is. And I think that the movie could have been successful without him, but I wouldn't want to see a version of that personally. And it's because of the fact that he is somewhat of an anchor to the rest of the team. You look at both Egon and Ray, and they are almost stereotypical extremes you've got egon who is completely scientific no smile just very pensive you don't really know if he's happy or sad you think he is because of breakthroughs but you never see him get excited and then on the other end of the spectrum you have ray who's like a 12 year old kid who could get excited at any given moment based on the current situation so when you look at a character like peter vinkman i'm trying to imagine some of those other actors that you mentioned in that position where they are the anchor and sure they probably could have worked. I think Michael Keaton would probably be the one that I could compare the closest to because he has that ability to be sort of straightforward, that dry sense of humor. But I also know him as, as Bruce Wayne and as Mr. Mom, both of which have very kind of outspoken moments, but for the most part, he's pretty steady. But when you look at Bill Murray and what he brings to the cast, he has this interesting personality that does feel like a used car salesman. I didn't know that. I didn't know that she intent- that she changed the line to game show host because used car salesman would have been equally as accurate to describe his character. He's a guy who definitely knows what he wants and is comfortable in his own skin Yet, the way he plays that part comes across as very much like, I know that I'm not really that attractive, but I know that I have nothing to lose when it comes to the actions that I take. And that very first scene with him in the lab doing the uh, the psychic test with the, the two subjects, I have no idea if what he was putting down the girl was picking up i'd like to believe that she was just kind of either naive an idiot or whatever because there's no way that somebody like him would be able to quote get with a girl like that at least on paper 
So when we see that portrayed, we see this charisma that comes out in him. And it's and it comes out again with his relationship with Dana when he's investigating her apartment. And I, what I love is that he has no problem taking that risk. And the way he recovers is almost self-deprecating. Uh, one of my favorite moments between him and Dana is when she basically tells him to get out after because she thinks he's just a fraud. And he starts giving this like narrative about, and then she threw me out. She thought I was worthless. I never would come back. And he, he, like he's doing some kind of monologue from a play or something like that. But then he finishes it up, Jeremy, by leaving the apartment. And right when she's closing the door, he cracks it open, puts his face in and says, no kiss. And she pushes him out. And what's great is I don't remember if this happens specifically. I'd like to believe it does. But she closes the door and she gives this half little smirk. Like, wow, that guy's really annoying. But he's kind of cute. That's what I got from it. And I think as a whole, his character, which I think is reflective of the actor, is able to bring that duality to the role. Yeah, he just has a tremendous amount of unearned confidence (laughs) that just is magnetic. And yeah, I love that scene, too, because, you know, like she's still kicking him out. She doesn't change her mind, but the seeds are planted there. Like, I kind of like that guy. And yeah, he has no he has no reason for the kind of confidence that he has. I mean, I mean, definitely not the way he looks. Um, It seems like as far as his friends go, he's he's the one that doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) He's the one that's the least smart. He's the one that's obviously just a con man. Yeah. But anyway, it's pretty it's pretty magnetic. And it's it's ironic that I think he's the one that anchors the other two. So when I look at characters like Egon and Ray, I almost see them, as I mentioned earlier, as opposites of each other, but anchored by him. How would how would the movie feel to you if you didn't have those characters supporting from a comedic standpoint? I I don't even know that I could imagine it. It's just they're so they're such a perfect sort of they just kind of form a perfect triangle, right? The guy with the ambition the guy with the smarts and the guy with the belief, you know, and all three of them together without either of those, you know, none of them can, the whole thing wouldn't work. And I just think that like with, even though they're not given as much to do as Murray, I think that the way that Ramus plays Egon is just so perfect. You know, he was writing the, the dialogue for that character and he just realized halfway through he wasn't planning on starring in the movie, but he just realized I, I'm the guy that has to play this. And he just knew that character so well. Um, I can't imagine uh, him not being there. And then for Dan Aykroyd, I just feel like whenever I watch with him, I'm always sort of impressed with what I would call like a lack of ego in his performance, just because this is um, not only is this like his baby, you know, he created this whole scenario, this whole idea with lots and lots of different iterations and stuff. But like, I, I don't know if you've ever read much about Dan Aykroyd. Like he's like a member of like UFO believer groups. And oh, wow. like, <laughs> he's on like, he's on like history channel UFO stuff. His, his grandfather was a spiritualist that used to talk about spiritualism with, uh, like the, who's the, the Sherlock Holmes, Conan, Arthur Conan Doyle, his grand, his dad wrote a book about, uh, just called the history of ghosts. I mean, so this is like something he's believed in and grew up with and he created this whole character. But um, I think, you know, he just kind of saw what a force of nature Murray was and took a back seat and allowed that to happen. And I feel like that's a really uh, egoless performance from him. And I think you can tell in, in the way that the chemistry works is like it, they all work together just perfectly. And I think it's because of his lack of ego and Ramus's knowledge of the character. Absolutely. I I agree with all that 100%. Watching these three on screen tell me that they need each other because Murray might bring that confidence, but he needs the enthusiasm of Ray Stance in order to get this thing going. And they can't really do that and get the logistics down without Egon Spengler because otherwise... One of these guys doing what they're doing is going to miss those other components that for as little time as it was, Ghostbusters as a company, as an entity, was successful. 
I also like the fact that these three listen to each other and they're almost like brothers, which, you know, I think is by design. And you, you see how they interact with each other and how they help each other get better at the job. I don't think any one person is out to make something just for himself. I think all three of them have individual motivations, but I think those motivations are complementary to each other in order to make that company successful. For Peter Vinkman, it's all about the money. It's all about those Benjamins. You know, he's he's the first to say, "Here's how much it's going to cost to trap this guy." You got Harold Ramis playing Egon, who has all the tools and who has no problem just explaining away all the science behind it. And, you know, Vinkman couldn't care less. I mean, he's more like, okay, well, is that going to get us a paycheck? Because that's what we're looking for. And then you have Ray Stantz, who one of the most perfect moments to describe his character is the first encounter with the ghost when you see them in the library. And Ray says, okay, I've got an idea. And then he says, one, two, three. And he goes, get her. Who goes after an apparition? I don't. And at, Not the me. Of, and at the end of it, you got the next scene. They're running out of the out of the New York Public Library, and <laughs> Peter Vinkman's going, "Get her!" That was your big plan. Get her. <laughs> that would be me. I would be completely ridiculing him, but it's all in good fun, in a sense that okay, we're in it now. We probably need to take a different approach. But I appreciate your enthusiasm. So there's this banter that takes place between all of them that allows us to laugh at them and laugh with them. But at the end of the day, we know they care deeply about each other. They care about the best of each other, even though they're individually motivated by different things. And I think like a lesser movie would have them like have fights and break up and, you know, they all got to come back together and, and, and would be the worst for it, worse for it, you know, their relationship and their steadiness together, even, even, I don't know, just just the lack of conflict to me is, uh, you know, like they're spending, Ray's spending all that money and he's he's buying the car and he's, you know, he's screwing them over on their ability to talk down the real estate agent because he's so excited <laughs> about it, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, any other movie they're going to have, there's going to be like conflict or whatever, but it's like they just know each other so well. Well, that's that's Ray. I guess we're going to fork out the money. Or exactly. That's Peter. Right. I guess we're going to do what he wants to do so that he can get the girl or whatever. So I think I think that that's a cool thing about the movie too. Yeah, they just they have a they 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 trust each other in this weird way, but they're not afraid to to badger each other. Uh, there's a small moment where with the the subject at the beginning. <laughs> and Ray comes in and he's really excited about this new thing about, hey, we found this you know, apparition. There's a lot, a full spectral, whatever he calls it. And <laughs> all Vinkman thinks about is trying to get a date with this girl. And he goes, I'm right in the middle of something, Ray. And he thumps him on the head. All these little things help you get acclimated to these relationships. I think of the three, I would probably connect more with with Ray than anything else. I don't know that I have that kind of confidence that, that Vinkman does. Um, and I'm definitely not as smart or as kind of calculated scientifically as Egon. I think I would be the enthusiast. Do you connect with any of the, any of the three, one more than the other? Yeah, I would definitely be Ray as well. I think that, um, I just tend to get excited about things. I, uh, I'm definitely not the guy with confidence. <laughs> I can tell you that for <laughs> sure. And, and I'm not the guy with any sort of knowledge, but, uh, but I am the guy that can get pretty excited about something that literally nobody else cares about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing, man. It's really, it's a good thing. Just own your, own your passions, right? <laughs> I'll tell my wife that the next time I'm boring her to death talking about something I'm reading about in theology or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make her get excited. Just like, just be excited for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something that stood out to me this time around watching Ghostbusters is um, as I'm watching more movies, then I've been trying to pay attention to the intentionality of where a movie takes place. And Ghostbusters is in the city that never sleeps, New York City. It's the focal point uh, of this film. And depending on the movie, location really is everything. And I wanted to ask you, what makes New York City 
a great setting for Ghostbusters as opposed to maybe Chicago or Los Angeles? The big thing to me would be just New York is significantly older than those other two cities. Just you get the idea that there's probably not the idea. I've been to New York. I've walked around. There's lots of old spooky buildings there. And, you know, it's it's not far fetched to think that and, you know, there's a college somewhere that, you know, it's in an old building that has a haunted library or um and so to me that makes that makes New York a better choice plus just the scope of New York um obviously it plays in to the sequel when the the Statue of Liberty comes to life you can't do that anywhere you can't do that anywhere else um i guess the bean could come to life if you went to Chicago or that that's not the same or the Hollywood sign i don't really know but um to me that's that's a big thing and just the scope how big the city is you know you get the feeling that there's there could be lots of just paranormal stuff going on, and you think that, A, people wouldn't know about it because I'm from Brooklyn, and that's happening in Queens, and who knows, just because of how big the city is. But also just you get the feeling from New Yorkers that would be like, I don't care. Stop bothering me. I need to get to the subway. So um, I just think that's uh, something that only New York could really bring. I absolutely agree with that. I think New York is a very unique city among the major cities of America in that it has all those things. It's old. It's got a lot of history, not only architecturally, but culturally. You have all those divisions, uh, Chinatown, Brooklyn, Queens. You have such a culmination of different cultures and different people that adding paranormal activity almost seems like adding another neighborhood. And the attitude, stereotypically, of a New Yorker is like, hey, look, I'm doing my own thing, and as long as you're not bothering me, you know, do, do your thing. Um, not once did we ever see a reaction from, from the crowd of like, oh my gosh, there's ghosts, there's, you know, there's apparitions. I would imagine they're like, oh, it's Tuesday. The apparition at the library is back. Um, make sure you put the card catalog entries back where they go after she's done doing her thing. That's the kind of feeling I get when it comes to the culture of New York embedded in this movie. And that could sound negative. It could sound like New York has no taste or it ha or the people of New York are just cold-hearted. But the truth is, this is almost like a Valentine. This is almost like a love letter to the city. I mean, when you look at all the locations that they visit, you've got the New York Public Library, Columbia University, Rockefeller Center, Columbus Circle, Central Park, Tavern on the Green, and the Upper West Side Apartments. I mean, these are iconic places. These are places that I would love to visit if I ever went to New York. Hopefully that'll happen in my lifetime. But the fact is, I think New York as a city works because it's probably the one city in the entire country that you could actually believe stuff like this is happening and that it's not quite abnormal. And it's it's a confined city as well. I mean, it's sitting on an island. So you've got this chaos that could be considered regular New York life that contains all this paranormal activity. And it's the perfect place for these guys to start a business where they are capturing ghosts. All this stuff feels very normal. Obviously, we don't get the in-between narrative of people like getting used to this. And I think that's by design, one, because you don't want the movie to be four hours and it's not meant to be that way tonally. But also, I think not having that information allows you to make those kind of fun assumptions that New Yorkers see this every day. Somebody just finally decided to step in and capitalize on it. And so I'd like to believe that in 1984, there were ghosts running around. Absolutely. It makes sense to me. Well, we look at Ghostbusters as a comedy, and obviously in 1984, it inhabits the comedy of the 80s. It's very much in line with other other movies of, of that genre. Um, but I feel like when I watch it, it's got elements of horror to it it's got elements of slapstick here and there and i wanted to ask how does it reflect the movies that came before it in that kind of horror comedy genre like maybe young frankenstein and do you think it has an influence on some of the more like parody horror films like scary movie uh and things that we see today i think it it has an affection for ghost movies without being a parody. You know, I think Young Frankenstein is more of a parody of 
older stuff that came before it. And I don't think Ghostbusters is trying to be that. I feel like it's more of like an everyman um, reaction to, you know, if if uh, if I were in the room doing the exorcism and the exorcist as opposed to a seasoned priest, you know, that's what we're seeing with Ghostbusters. Um, and so I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would say it's, I don't know. It's to me, it's too smart. <laughs> it's too smart and well-made to consider it a, an influence on scary movie. Um, but it's, uh, I would say that it definitely has an affection for those old ghost movies and stuff like that. And I think, I think that it's um, definitely helped pave the way for a little bit more of that supernatural stuff to be brought to the comedy scene. You know, we um, a fun little thing that I learned in reading about the movie is that it came out the same day as Gremlins. So we're talking, you know, two movies that really sort of brought this sort of family horror comedy mashup thing to the forefront that, um, you know, is still something we see from time to time today. Absolutely. And I wonder, um, having the reboot or reimagining or whatever the 2016 version was called, I actually, I've seen it once and it was on a plane coming back from, from Kenya. And so when you're kind of sandwiched between two other big guys, it's again, I don't know that I was really in the mood for comedy. Uh, have you seen the 2016 version? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. I actually think it's pretty, you know, I think if you can separate it from all the stupid political stuff that went on around it, um, that it's actually a pretty fun, pretty fun movie. I feel like it's more of a more of what Ghostbusters would have been if it were um, let the movie center around Ray's character than Murray's character. And I, I, you know, I really like I like Melissa McCarthy um, and Kristen Wiig, obviously, and Kate McKinnon is just awesome in it so yeah i really enjoyed it and it might be chris hemsworth's best movie movie as well well you're right i think what from watching it the idea that i think the influence that not just in name but maybe in tone that ghostbusters 84 had on 2016 was probably the most successful kind of iteration and maybe that's what it had to be because you mentioned that ghostbusters is a very smart movie so to to say that it had an influence on Scary Movie, I don't think that's the case because Scary Movie is definitely a parody. It's very much like, let's take all the tropes from horror and put a comedic spin on it. Whereas when you look at Ghostbusters, the original, you have the idea of horrific things like ghosts and apparitions and really more a what-if sandbox. Like, hey, what if there were people out there that could actually capture these and what if we could make money off of that and now you have a narrative like you mentioned a story that's fun to watch and then you bring out really great comedians that are able to tell that story from various points of view and so i think if there's an influence i don't know that there have been very many movies that are able to do that in the horror comedy genre it's a very small genre from the research that I was doing, there's not a lot of horror comedies out there that aren't just straight parodies. Um, and I think just like comedy, which is difficult to, to review. And if you're writing comedy, that's a very difficult thing. I think horror is the same way because it's evolved into so many different things. So in a lot of ways, I think Ghostbusters hit a sweet spot when it came out to kind of touch on, Hey, here's some familiar horror elements that we can bring in. And with great special effects, we can make them kind of scary. But then we can couple that with big, giant, puffy marshmallow men that become the eventual climax of a movie. I I love that Ghostbusters takes these things that could be considered horrific and makes them approachable to folks like me who aren't really big into horror. Yeah, and if you you change the music... And don't have Bill Murray in the scene where um, Dana is floating on the bed. You know, that could be pretty freaky as well, right? They're sort of undermining the scariness of it by having somebody, a normal person there commenting and being funny. And um, But, you know, and, and in another movie that's not trying to be funny, that could be a pretty freaky scene that could scare scare the dickens out of somebody like it is in The Exorcist. 
Yeah, there is a balance in Ghostbusters that I don't think is easy to capture when it comes to those two genres. It's either horror or comedy. When you combine the two, you run the risk of being very much a parody or failing at delivering lines when it's appropriate, when there's a need to laugh in, in certain moments. Um, and when it comes to, to writing, some of the things that I'm learning is that good stories often use opposites in the way in which characters are developed. And so when you have Zool that Dana eventually is possessed by the gatekeeper, I think. Is it the gatekeeper? I can't remember now. But then you have you have um, Rick Moranis played by, or Louis Tully played by Rick Moranis, who, by the way, I think is probably one of the most underrated comedic actors, and I miss him dearly uh, and and what he brought to the to the silver screen. I love, love, love his comedy. But he plays Louis Tully, a, an accountant who is eventually the key master, ironically, the guy that always gets locked out of his apartment. And so putting those two together, a guy who is trying to win Dana Barrett's heart or at least get her over to his apartment so he can do her taxes, eventually they get together by weird means. I think all that adds to a, a really great comedic experience that doesn't necessarily forget about the effect of of good horror, having a few jump scares here, or having kind of disturbing images, but not so bad that you lose your audience because then you have a guy like Bill Murray and Peter Vinkman's character that bring you back. It's a safe movie. It's got some horror elements to it, but you're going to have a good time watching it. And I also think that like, and I'm going to say something here. I am not a horror aficionado. <laughs> I've watched a lot of horror in the last four or five years. Um, didn't watch a lot before that, but when I think of like your 70s and 60s horror that I've seen, it's not stuff that's mixed with a lot of comedy. You know, there's not anything to laugh about in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a lot of stuff to wake up in the middle of the night screaming about, but there's not anything to laugh about. But then you look through, you know, the 90s and 2000s, and even today, you see a lot more comedy in horror whether it's the scream franchise whether it's the nightmare on elm street franchise which came out i think the same year as this um it and it chapter two both use a lot of humor to sort of offset the scary and make the movie more wide more of a wide appeal to more audiences and so i don't know if i i would i don't have the historical knowledge to say that ghostbusters um, started that trend, but it's I think it's something that you see later after Ghostbusters that you don't necessarily see a ton before. Yeah, and I think that's good for the franchise, or for the genre, excuse me, to be able to have in their own way pockets of comedy. Because most of the time when you talk about a horror movie like, like Saw or Scream, the comedy has to make sense. It can't just be thrown in for a quick laugh. It has to, unless, again, unless it's parody, in which case it's the focal point. You're not looking to scare anybody. But as you mentioned in movies like Scream or The Faculty or um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, the focal point is slasher horror, but it's embedded in the lives of young teenagers and or young kids where the reactions and the way in which they respond to this kind of stuff happening to them is very natural. It's very much like, yeah, if I was a teenager and I had this guy with a hook coming after me, I'd probably be saying some of the things that Freddie Prince Jr. was saying in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Or I'd probably be very self-aware of the fact that things like this are happening and it sounds like we're in a scary movie. We need to go back and take a look at the rules of how to survive a scary movie. So, what I think Ghostbusters has done maybe indirectly is it's influenced the creative way in which comedy is embedded in horror. Now, I would call Ghostbusters more of a comedy than a horror. It's probably more balanced than anything else. But I definitely think that those movies that have uh, that are defined as horror with comedic elements get some of their inspiration and some of their methodologies from Ghostbusters, even if it's not specifically 
the type of comedy that we get from from Murray and company. Well, before we get into our connecting points, Jeremy, did you want to bring up anything else that we might have missed? Well, so like I just I love uh, I could sit around and just quote lines from Ghostbusters for hours. But, you know, there's some lines that are one that I think you're going to talk about here in a minute. And there's the the uh, dogs and cats living together. Total mayhem. Those lines have been sort of voted as in your Rolling Stone articles or stuff like that as, you know, top 100 movie, funny movie lines of all time. But for me, my favorite and one that just makes me laugh every time I think about it is in the mayor's office. Um, Ray refers to Peck as dickless. And the mayor listens to the rest of what Ray says and says, is this true? And Bill Murray says, yes, it's true, Your Honor. This man has no dick. (laughs) <laughs> and it's to me among the funniest lines ever to be in a movie in movie history. So Absolutely. that's I just wanted to mention this man has no dick as Jeremy's favorite movie line and <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> On the record, make it official, right? <laughs> absolutely. You're absolutely right. And for me, there there are tons of lines, yes, that I could quote, but there's just there are moments in the movie that I think that really make me laugh and several of them actually have to do with um with lewis tully there's the scene where he's hosting a party for all of his clients all of his accounting clients and um he's just going around spouting off their financials to each other like there's no privacy at all and i think yes it's that same scene where the dogs that eventually possess him are hanging out in the closet. He's throwing coats in the closet or in the bedroom and they're landing on the dog's head. And then you hear, uh, I think at some point he says, anybody want to play Parcheesi? And then a dog like busts through the door or busts through the wall. <laughs> and then I think at the next moment he says, okay, who brought the dog? And then this chaos ensues. I think those kinds of lines and only spoken by him make those scenes work for me. Some of my favorite trivia about the movie is that Rick Moranis came up with all of those financials and stuff. He did that all ad-libbed. None of that was scripted. Oh my gosh, that's Just hilarious. sort of that sort of one one little swoop of him walking through the apartment and just nonstop jabbering was all just him. I think that's amazing. He's so good, man. I, I... I miss him uh, a lot. He's not dead, by the way. I'm just saying he's he gave up acting when his wife got sick and eventually passed away. Um, he's doing some more kids stuff now, like yeah. uh, voices and stuff, which mm-hmm. is uh, I've tried to get my kids to watch a little bit of it just so I could hear some more Rick Moranis. But yeah, they're not like too the, interested. I like them in the uh, Shrunk the Kids series. That yes, that's very, good. very good. <laughs> it's good stuff. Well, let's move into our connecting points and. I fully admit that when it comes to comedy, you're probably not going to find that moment that like gets you right in the feels. But you know what? Laughter is a feel for me. Laughter is an emotion and or it's a it's a reaction. And so oftentimes when I watch comedies, I usually point out a scene or a moment that just makes me laugh hysterically. And so I don't know if that's the same way for you. But uh, but for me, I think the moment that I love was the first encounter with what we now know as Slimer inside the hotel. It starts with Janine ringing that bell, saying, we got one. And then the music chimes in, Ecto-1 starts blaring, and they go to the hotel. And then we go through that whole sequence where they're hunting down this ugly green monster. And we get to see, at least for the most part, Vinkman and Stance reacting to their encounter with with this thing. Bill Murray freaks out, or Vinkman freaks out. <laughs> Ray comes by, and he's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You got slimed. This is amazing. You know, Almost no care for what just happened to his comrade. He's just concerned about the fact that he's just had a close encounter of the slime kind. And then it culminates with them in the ballroom, um, the, the moment where where Vinkman takes the tablecloth off the table and makes that famous line, the flowers are still standing. I tell you what, anytime I've gotten a chance to do that trick, even if there's no flowers on the table, 
if it's successful, I usually say the flowers are still standing. <laughs> and those who give me a crazy look, I'm like, you need to watch Ghostbusters to really get that. But it culminates with them coming out of the ballroom and Vinkman says this pivotal line. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. And to me, that's the exclamation point. That's the moment where I feel like these guys have arrived. They now are the only game in town. And I, I, I look at that scene as like, this is where we get to know these guys and get to see how they function together as actual Ghostbusters. And then to see the excitement on their face and the way in which they kind of hold their heads high to say, we got this ghost through Vinkman's line is just perfect. Well, how about you, Jeremy? What about uh, your connecting point? Um, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but I think it, I think it does connect to yours just um, with the brotherhood of these people. You know, it's like um, Vinkman doesn't, he's not hesitant to go with Ray and Egon to go to Slimer because, I mean, even though that's something weird, you know, if, if my buddy said we're going to go catch a ghost, I'd be like, no. Um, <laughs> you can call me, you know, you know what famously I, I, I once had a, there's, there's this sort of, there's this legend in Lincoln about a, an abandoned, uh, insane asylum that like one day they were there and one day people, they upped and moved them to a different place and there's still like tables and stuff or whatever. And so college kids like to go venture out and see if they can find it and, you know, and so one day, my college roommates and, and a couple of their friends, even my wife, she wasn't my wife yet. She wasn't even my girlfriend yet. She went along with them like, hey, hey, Jeremy, we're going we're gonna to go find this insane asylum. I'm like, oh, no, but you guys go, you know, you guys go ahead. So that's what I, you know, and these are my best friends, you know, we're supposed to live and die together. But, you know, the fact that there is none of that, there's just like, okay, sure, Ray's weird, Egon's weird, but they're not idiots and so he just believes them he's going to go along with them and they have this cool relationship the entire time to the point of my connecting point which is um also the connecting point in the movie where they connect the streams there it um, is there it is <laughs> because you know like even to the point of them thinking they're going to die they're just going to go along with each other because they trust each other they're friends they're brothers um, and they trust each other, even to the point of like, you know what, what we're about to do is probably going to kill us, but we're going to do it together and we're going to save the city. And so again, you know, this is a goofy movie. Like you said, there's not really a lot about it. that's going to like give you, hit you in the feels as far as uh, classic feeling film connecting point. But that part to me, I think is pretty, pretty darn good. And it's really set up throughout the whole movie from their relationship with each other. Absolutely. Great connecting point. Uh, before we finish up, um, there was a sequel that came out of this. Uh, one, have you seen it? And two, what are your just quick thoughts on it? I have seen it, but like I said, I wasn't allowed to watch these as a kid. So I have the first time I saw Ghostbusters, I, I want to say it's 10 years ago or less. And I watched, I've watched it several times since then, but I just did a binge that day of part one and part two and i have never watched part two again so i've seen it but man what i remember of it is basically the statue of liberty walking onto shore or whatnot and that's about all so i can't speak to it very much but i might i might try and watch it here in the next night or two for halloween yeah i i have a fondness for the second one i don't enjoy it as much as the first one but it keeps a similar tone doesn't feel quite as original or quite as fresh as its predecessor but i like that there's an emphasis on new york and the love of new york and the um the attitude of new york i also love the fact that the the characters themselves expand a little bit and we still we get some kind of quirky side characters as well we also get um you know Moranis and Annie Potts coming back to reprise their roles, and so it's it's pretty fun. So I, I would I would say if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. May not be as much of a rewatch as the original, but it's still worth seeing once. Well, Jeremy, thank you for a great conversation. This was a lot of fun. 
Um, if people want to keep conversation going with you or just connect with you on social media, how can they do that? Yeah, again, thanks for having me. We all know that regular co-host Aaron hates joy. So anytime you want to talk about comedy, <laughs> I'm always game. Um, I recently quit Facebook because I woke up one morning and realized I hated it. And so you can reach me now on Twitter, at Jay and Lincoln. But you're welcome to follow me. It's about 10% movies and 90% uh, Chiefs and Huskers about this time of year. But once spring comes around, it'll be Royals again. So you anyway, go. you're welcome to follow <laughs> me, but you might not like what you find. <laughs> you troll the president too, don't you, a little bit? Um, I've tried to quit. Just Yeah, I've, I've, I'm trying to quit. <laughs> he, write, he writes a tweet. This is <laughs> a real Donald Trump. I wish I could quit you. you know, but... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I wish America could quit you. Oh, sorry, bro. my bad. <laughs> this has turned into a political podcast. <laughs> well, that wraps up another episode of Feeling Film. Um, with November coming up uh, tomorrow, if you're listening to this again on Halloween, be on the lookout for our next round of donor pick voting, which will hit on November 1st. And following that, we'll be spending the next two weeks celebrating Veterans Day with our coverage of the Memphis Bell. Yes, followed by Midway. Jeremy, thanks again for stepping in for this great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.